How many of you enjoy that show? Uh, gee, I can't even remember the name of it. Dynamite Start, eh? Um, Family Feud. Family Feud. You like that show, Family Feud? Um, in the States, it's hosted by Steve Harvey. Here, obviously, it's Di Henwood. And so what they do is they ask uh, 100 people, you know, a question, and then they, they look at the response. And uh, back in 2012, uh, Steve Harvey uh, hosted and he asked the question, uh, when someone mentions the king, to whom might he or she be referring? And uh, 81% responded with the same answer. Any idea what that might have been? Oh, yeah, you guys know. Oh, bless my soul. So it was Elvis, 81%, Elvis Presley, 3% came up with another. Remember, this is the States, this is the US, 3%. Any idea who they came up with? You'd think so, wouldn't you? But not, not quite yet, not quite yet. Stevie Wonder sang a song about him. Happy birthday to you. I never understood how a man who died for good could not have a day that would. Notice how I lowered it because I can't sing Stevie Wonder's keys. Um, so 3% Martin Luther King. 2%, any idea what 2% of the nation came up with? 2%. I had no idea it was the Burger King. I didn't even know he was a character. And he's kind of scary in that way that all clown type figures are scary for me. So 2%. Or was it just me? I find clowns scary. No, anyway, 2%. And, <clears throat> and then 7%, Jesus or God as, as King, which leaves another 7%, which leaves me wondering what they came up with. But 7% believe that Jesus or God is King. That, that's who they thought. And I, I found it interesting when you think that surveys in the States would say that 75 to 80% of people would see Jesus as the Son of God in the States. But you've got 7% here saying when they hear the word king, I wonder, I think Pastor Sheridan had a great challenge for us in the West that, you know, the idea of Saviour, the one who saves us is cool, but we struggle with the idea of Lord, the one to whom we bow the knee and to whom we owe our allegiance. That's something from our distant past in our age of equal rights and, and, and your opinion matters and all that sort of thing. And I wondered what the question would be if Di Henwood asked this today in, in Family Feud. What would, what would be the percentage, you know, what, what sort of percentage Jesus might come up with in New Zealand context? Have you seen the census info? So in 2013, uh, about 48% of the country identified themselves as Christian, as having a faith in Christ, which would be acknowledging Christ as Lord and Saviour. 48%. If you go back to 1966, it's about 86%. Okay, probably a cultural Christianity going on there. But nevertheless, there's been this change. And so 2013, 48%. 2018, that's dropped to 37% of New Zealand would identify as Christian, 37%. What has, what has risen is what they call the nons, the non-religious. That's about 48% today. Would, would identify themselves as non-religious, which is not atheist. But non-religious people will still pray and believe in, in miracles and angels and things like that, but they don't believe in organised religion. So spirituality is hot, religion is not. Hey, you get the vibe? And so, so uh, you know, you can talk about Jesus, but, but you just can't sort of impose the big story. It's, it's a different time that we're living in. So I wonder what the response would be uh, in our culture today. And really interesting, in, in, a, in a New Zealand context, which is where we live, 
where the society is becoming increasingly secular, which is becoming increasingly pluralistic, where there's so many more spiritual options for people to follow and, and to, to, to walk into, the question becomes even more crucial for us today, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And so today, as we continue our journey through the Gospel of Luke, that's the hinge point, that's the turning point that we come to, a real crucial point in, in Luke's Gospel. If you turn with me in Luke 9, and we're going to be reading from verse 18, and, and considering this question of just who is it that we're talking about when we speak about Jesus. So Luke chapter 9, verse 18. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Luke chapter 9, verse 18. One day Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. He's just fed the 5,000. He's, you know, he's, he's tried to get away from the crowds and the crowds have followed him and he's ministered to them. He's, he's healed a demon-possessed man. There's been so much giving out. He's come away to have time alone just with his, his inner circle, his disciples. Only his disciples were with him and he asked them, who do people say I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you are one of the other ancient prophets risen from the dead. The question of, of who Jesus is was a huge question at that time. And if we've been reading Luke's gospel and we have an eye for it, we can see it cropping up all the way through the gospel. So if we go back to Luke 4, remember Jesus stands in the synagogue in his hometown. He opens up, the, the, the scroll of Isaiah and he, he speaks and he says, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. And the men there say, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this the carpenter's boy? And they're asking the question about who this guy is, this Yeshua ben Yusuf, this Jesus of Nazareth, this mysterious Galilean. Um, his, his whanonga, his cousin, John the Baptist, says, I, he's, John the Baptist is sitting in a cell. He has confronted the powers of the time. He has confronted Herod and he's been thrown into a jail cell and he sends some of his followers to Jesus to ask him, are you the one who is to come? I find that interesting. From the one who actually said, I'm the voice of one crying out of the wilderness, prepare ye the way for the coming of the Lord. And now John the Baptist sends a messenger to Jesus going, are you the one? I've announced it to you, Lord, but are you the one? Or should we expect someone else? John the Baptist asking the question. Jesus sends back. He doesn't say yes or no. He just says, look at the miracles. These are the things that the prophet said would accompany the coming of the Messiah. We carry on. Uh, Luke chapter 8. Remember Pastor Sheridan preaching on this passage where Jesus is dead tired, asleep in the boat. The storm is raging. Jesus stands up and says to the storm, shush, enough quietens down, and then they call, who is this? Who is this man? He commands even the winds and the waters and they obey him. And they were freaked out. So again, they're asking, they are his closest friends and followers. And yet again, here's this question, who is this man? Who is this? Uh, Herod, says, so who is this man about whom I hear such stories? Who is this guy? Herod's afraid that John the Baptist is going to rise from the dead and come back and get him. Herod's freaking out. And he hears about this Jesus. Who, who is this man? And then we come to this turning point in Luke's gospel 
where Jesus just, he's praying, and then out of nowhere, he turns to his disciples and he says, who do the crowd say I am? Who do people say I am? And I don't think, see, if I ask, there might be a bit of insecurity in that. I don't think there's any insecurity in what Jesus, he's just asking, who do people say I am? And so the response comes that the disciples give him the word on the street and they say, well, you know, some say that, uh, that, that you're one of, the, one of the ancient prophets come back to life. Some say you're a miracle working Elijah. If we know the story of Elijah and he was taken up in a, a fiery chariot, he never died. He just sort of went. Him and Methuselah, right? Methuselah? No. Enoch, Enoch. Enoch was sort of taken by the Lord. And so thank you. And so, and so you got these two mysterious figures. And so Elijah is, is, is this prophet who's gone to be with God. And, and the prophet Malachi has actually prophesied that Elijah would return in the latter days. And we know the passage, to turn the hearts of the sons to the fathers and the hearts of the fathers to the sons. So some are saying, yeah, you're Elijah. Others are saying, well, you're John the Baptist risen from the dead. Others are saying you're one of the other prophets. Others are saying, well, Moses was told that the prophet would rise up from among us who is greater than Moses. It must be you. Um, what they don't share is the scuttlebutt that's negative. The other talk that's going on, blasphemer, glutton, drunkard, uh, sin, sinful man who, who eats with sinful people, eats with scum. They don't share that talk. Jesus will be aware of that. But they share all the different ideas that are going on about who Jesus is. But Jesus, uh, interestingly, he, he carries on to a far more personally confronting question. So if we carry on in our passage, Luke 9, and we carry on with verse 20. So, They've given him the feedback and said, well, here's, here's what a whole lot of people are saying about you. Then he asked them, yeah, but who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? The message, and you, what are you saying about me? Who am I? It's quite a confronting personal question, eh? Imagine Rachel turns to me, who do you think I am, Simon? Who am I? Ah, 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 ah. It's a real personal confronting question. And Peter replies, you are the Messiah sent from God. You are the Messiah sent from God. Jesus' response, yeah, yeah, but who do you say I am? With a sweep of his hand, he says, yeah, never mind what people are saying. It doesn't bother me. Yeah, yeah, but, but, but who do you say I am? You've walked with me. You've seen me. You've seen the miracles. You've heard the teaching. You've seen the signs? Who do you say I am? And Peter speaks and he says, you are the Messiah sent from God. And Messiah is a term that, that carries uh, a sense of, of salvation and deliverance and rescue. And, uh, and, and, and Peter says, yep, you're the Messiah, you're the one. But Messiah also at that time culturally carried, as, as you guys know, carries this idea of the one who will reestablish David's kingdom and drive out the Romans. And, and establish the, the sovereignty of Israel in the promised land. And so Jesus goes, yeah, you're right, Peter. Yeah, I'm the Messiah, but, and, and, and have a look at verse 22. He, he goes on and he just explains a bit more. He says, the son of man must suffer many terrible things. This, this would be freaky thinking for them, talking about God's anointed Messiah. Yeah, glory. Yeah, victory. He says, yeah, the son of man must suffer many terrible things. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. 
And they would grapple with that. So, sorry, what? Suffer, suffer? Die? What? No. And we know from other Gospels, Peter goes, no. And then Jesus carries on in his preaching. And, and he says, you know, if you're going to follow me, you have to take up your cross daily. And so, because before the glory comes the suffering, and that's the path that I have to walk as Messiah, and my followers will walk that path, and you need to take up your cross daily and follow me. And if they know who Jesus is, they'll get it. But they're struggling. Really interesting, to this point in the gospel, the only ones who know who Jesus is are supernatural beings. The angel Gabriel says to Mary, it's the Son of God. Demons being cast out by Jesus will go, Messiah, Son of God, ah. And God declares him to be his son at his baptism. But human beings are still going, who, what? Even Peter going, you're the Messiah, doesn't get what that means. I don't think he quite gets what that means at that time. So they're still grappling with this question of who is Jesus? Major turning point in the Gospel of Luke. You know, Peter knows He's been with Jesus for some time. He knows that Jesus is no mere teacher of Torah. He knows he's more than a prophet. He, he knows that there's something special about this man. So he says, you are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. So Peter's confession is a crucial turning point. And it's only when Jesus is acknowledged as Messiah, as the Son of God, as the one who was to come, the king in David's line, the prophet who is greater than Moses, the great high priest in the order of Melchizedek, that he can actually help us to enter into a fullness of relationship with God. The whole Old Testament pointed to him. Everything in the Old Testament didn't measure up. It was fulfilled in him. And the whole New Testament looks back and goes, it's all because of him. Jesus, the hinge point of history. And, and, and in light of that, knowing who Jesus is becomes such a key thing to enter into the fullness of life that God has for us. No one can come to the Father except through me. So knowing who Jesus is, is pretty crucial. Uh, and yet, you know, a question that was asked of his disciples 2,000 years ago has come up with so many, it came up with heaps of answers back then. Through church history, there are all sorts of answers. Some went, oh, he was a man and the Spirit of God came on him. Others go, no, he was like a spirit, but he wasn't a man. And others said, well, the, 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 the Logos, the Word, took the place of a human spirit. You know, and they all came up with these different ideas. And today there's heaps of different ideas about who Jesus is. Many diverse, you know, I, I, I remember when I first became a Christian back in 91, it was quite hard to talk about Jesus because society was quite secular. Today it's quite easy because spirituality is hot. You just don't be pushy. But what is difficult is when you talk about Jesus is I'm not sure if we're talking about the same Jesus. You know, you hear, about, well, you know, I don't know about that, but for me, Jesus is, and I sort of go, gee, sounds a lot like you, that Jesus, you know. So, so actually who Jesus is, uh, there are so many diverse answers today. Would that be a fair statement? You know, about the identity of this mysterious Galilean whose teachings and life revolutionised the world. And so what I've done, I've, I, I found a list by a guy, Pastor Kevin DeYoung, and I've sort of kiwi-fired it in places to sort of bring up some ideas about the different, the different understandings of who Jesus is today. So for some people, you know, and there's elements of truth in these, but for some people, there's therapist Jesus who helps us cope with life's problems, 
who heals us from our past, tells us how valuable we are and not to be so hard on ourselves. And that's the extent of it. There's sports lover Jesus who helps athletes to run faster and jump higher than non-Christians who decides who wins championships so we know he really loves his South African children. Ooh, and it seems like a lot of them love him. Hey, if you look at the stories. But also sports lover Jesus, he's the one who receives the glory whenever someone scores a try. Have you seen that? Oh, this is my worship team. This is my worship. And Jesus goes, what? No, no, sorry. What am I going to do with that? No. So sports lover Jesus. There's sports loving Jesus. Um, there's open-minded Jesus who loves everyone all the time, no matter what, except for people who are not as open-minded as you. <laughs> Did you find that with the Israel Folau saga? People would accuse him of hate speech and some of their speech about his hate speech was really hateful. Yeah. I didn't get that. Yeah. People saying, you know, he needs to be like us and I'm going, and, and, and assuming that everyone thought like, they did. It was fascinating. There's gentle Jesus who was meek and mild. He had high cheekbones, flowing strawberry blonde hair, piercing blue eyes. He walks around barefoot with a sash. He has a slight Nordic look, sort of floats across above the ground six inches. There's that Jesus. There's gentle and meek Jesus. There's, there's the buddy Jesus. He's your bestest pal, man. He's your homeboy. He's your mm, mate. He really likes you. And he won't ever challenge your stink behaviour or your rotten attitude. There's hippie Jesus. He teaches everyone to give peace a chance, man. He imagines a world without religion and helps us remember that all you need is love. There's spirituality Jesus. He hates religion. He hates priests. He hates pastors. He hates doctrine. And he'd rather you have coffee with your mates or that you'd be out in nature finding the God within you, listening to ambiguously spiritual music or whale song. No, that's Wookiee. That's Wookiee song. Go to sleep to Wookiee song. There's resources at the back. Going to sleep to the worship of Chewbacca. So I've got to say, I'm tired, I'll stop. Sorry, people, sorry. Stop it, stop it, stop it. okay. There's, uh, there's, left, there's, there's platitude Jesus. Good for Christmas specials, greeting cards, and bad sermons. He inspires people to believe in themselves and lifts us up so we can walk on mountains. There's, there's left-wing Jesus. There's left-wing Jesus. He represents mainly workers and the poor. He's anti-big business. He supports free education and a welfare state. And he wants to reduce our carbon footprint and protect our environment. That's left-wing Jesus. But then there's the Jesus of the right wing. And he's the Jesus of higher earners and big business owners. And he believes that people should pay less taxes and there should be less government interference. And people should stand on their own two feet and not have handouts. What did Pastor Ray say to me? He said, the trouble with only having one wing is that you end up going around in circles. I think that was what he came up with. This is quite good. There's revolutionary Jesus. He teaches us to rebel against the status quo, to stick it to the man and to blame things on the system. And there's guru Jesus, a wise, inspirational teacher who believes in you, 
wants to help you to reach your potential and to find your centre and has a never-ending list of great things to say that look great on memes and Facebook posts. And then there's Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. You know, the the Creator come to man, the God-man, the Christ, the Messiah, the one who God spoke of to the serpent and said, He will crush your head. You will bruise his heel. The one who, who would be the seed of Abraham through whom all, all families on earth would be blessed. The one who was promised to be the king in David's line who would rule over a kingdom that would reign forever. The, the one who, who the prophet Isaiah uh, said would be a suffering servant. The one who was predicted by the prophets and the one who was, uh, whose way was prepared by John the Baptist, the one who, who Paul tells us, who being in very nature God, considered equality with God not something to be grasped, but he humbled himself and he took upon himself the nature of a servant and being found in human likeness, he humbled himself even further to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow on the earth and above the earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. This is the Jesus that's presented through Scripture. He is loving and near to those who are broken, and He is cosmic, and He sits on the throne of the universe. He's huge. He's near, He's good, and He's great. He's the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. You know, so this Christ isn't a reflection of the current mood in society, Neither is He the projection of our own desires, but He's Lord and God, amen? He is the Father's Son. He's Saviour of the world. He's the one who died for our sins, died the death that we can't die so that we can live the life that we couldn't have gained on our own. He is more loving and more holy than we could ever imagine. And so we need to know who Jesus is. If I'm going to be in a relationship with Him, I need to know who He really is. Not as I want Him to be, not as I want to create Him to be, but as He actually is. Because then I think, and I'm a great believer in this, as I get to know who Jesus truly is, I get to know who I am. I get to know who He created me to be. I stop being the, I stop being, uh, the person that the world tries to tell me I am and I start being the man that He created me to be. So, so I, I'm, I'm a great believer in that. See, see, I believe, see, sometimes we fall for this Western illusion of individualism that, that I'm creating my own destiny and it's about my choices and the like. Yes, we're individuals. Yes, we make choices. Yes, our decisions are important. But we're also relational beings and our identities are formed in relationship and community. You know, it... it it's just the case. It's absolutely true. Psychology will talk about how the identity of children is formed by what their parents think of them. You know? And this just makes sense to us, doesn't it? You know? Rightly or wrongly, our identities are being formed in relationship. And uh, you know, if you think of Jesus, the son of his father, his identity is in that divine relationship. Uh, in his human existence, he is the son of Mary. And through that whakapapa, through that lineage, he's, he's part of the tribe of Judah in the line of David. That seems to be really important. You know, when I introduced myself in Te Māori, I was taught to say, He oi anō, ko wai e tūnei. Who is this that stands before you? 
And then I introduced myself by telling you about the area where my family came from and my ancestors and who my father is and who my mother is. That's who I am. So, so this whole idea, and that's a human thing. I'm both an individual and I'm part of a, a community. And our, relation, our, our, our identity is formed in relationship. And I think this is huge because I think there's, I think identity is a major issue for us today. You know, I was reading Facebook, gives us 71 options, 71 options for your gender. 71 options. And again, I'm not saying that to throw stones or judge. What I'm saying is we're living in a time where people are confused about who they are. And they're trying to work out who they are. And so I want to be able to listen and have empathy so I can introduce them to Jesus and say, you want to know who you are? You need to get to know Jesus. And you can learn who you are. Not me coming in and going, no, look, you've got to do this and that rule there. And No, no, you need to know Jesus. And then He will help you know who you are. Our identities are formed in relationship. You know, who am I? I'm the husband of Rachel. I'm the father of Bob Moitara and Nairi Middlemas. I'm the son of, just, uh, son, uh, son of them. I'm the father of Ruby and Josiah. You know, see, relationship, identity. And, and Toby. Yeah, I know. He's not here. Sorry. And Toby. Who's the other? And the other one. And Tobias, my poor tiki, my youngest. So, so, so relationship becomes very key for us in identity. And I see, have it, we've been singing about it for a while. I don't know if you've noticed this whole emphasis on identity in the songs we've sung in our worship. Uh, let me jump past there. So in 2018, Hillsong had us singing, you know, I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. But I'm actually, because I'm saying those things about him, there's something true about me. I am who you say I am. You know? And, and, you know, I, and I love the way we linger on this last line. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. And I'm accepting that statement on my identity and not the statements that come from the world. Because part of why I like this so much is that, I don't know about you, but I've had my identity stamped by the world growing up. And it tried to say things about who I am. And it got pressed into the wet concrete of my life. And then when that foundation set, those, those, those lies stayed there as a part of who I was. Dumb, stupid, useless, loser, nerd. You know, actually nerd's like a, cool thing today, but back then it was shocking, you know? So, and, and, and those things become a part of your, of who you are. But then Jesus comes and you stand in His presence and He cracks open as much as it hurts. He cracks open that foundation and starts to take away those lies and starts going, that's not who you are. See, He does that all the way through Scripture. Jacob means liar, deceiver, heel grabber. And so when the angel of the Lord is wrestling with Jacob, He says, who are you? Yaakov, he has to name, liar, deceiver. And the Lord, the angel of the Lord says, yes, but now you're going to be called Israel. One who has wrestled with the Lord and overcome. That's who you are. Not that anymore. You hear what I'm saying? So you and I have had our identity formed wrongly by the world and we've got to stand before Jesus and in knowing Him, I get to know who I am. 
and I start to walk in that. Uh, 2016, Chris Tomlin had us singing and repeating, um, you're a good, good father. It's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are. And because he's a good father and not a stink father, then I can listen to him. And what does he say about me? And I'm loved by you. That's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. So who I am is in light of who you are. So I've got to know who Jesus is to know who I am so I can be who I was meant to be as I go out and be salt and light in the world and walk in the authority and the giftings. You know, I remember sitting with one of my mentors and just, you know, for a long time I thought I was dumb, but actually realising there was this gifting and calling on. And you see, I've had to push back against Kiwi culture to do that. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm quite intelligent and gifted. But to actually stand there and just stand in that? Hey, and just go, that's, that's how it is. And to stand with a group of people who go, yeah, that's who you are. Part of living in the family of God. I'm a great believer in this. You know, we're in relationship with God the Father because of Jesus. The Spirit of God lives within us and leads us because of Jesus. We've received the Spirit of adoption by which we cry, e, e Apa, e Pa, Abba, Father. And we're part of the divine, the, the divine relationship of God because of Jesus. I love the words of Christian psychologist David Benner. Um, he says, in order to, for our knowing of God's love to truly be transformational, to truly transform us, it has to become the basis of our identity. You know, I was thinking about, just think for a moment, if I say, who are you? Who are you? How would you respond? See, and if, I'll come back to that, because he goes on to say this. An identity grounded in God would mean that when we think of who we are, the first thing that would come to mind is our status as someone who is deeply loved by God. Who are you? See, if I'm feeling insecure, then I might start grappling for the things that give me status in this world. Oh, well, you know, well, I've got this position and I've got these qualifications and that's who I am. But if I can go, who am I? I'm, I'm, I'm loved by God. The first thing, oh, I'm loved by God. That's who I am. And then you, and then you move out of that. Now, I'm, that, that, that's a journey. But getting to that place of security, who am I? I'm loved by God. Uh, what a lame. Oh, I don't care what you think. Because I'm loved by God. I love you. But you know what I'm saying? That place of security, of knowing who we are in God. Um, you know, I was thinking, one of the kids came home from high school a while ago and, and said, oh, you know... Um, a couple of the kids at school had mocked them about their Christianity and for being a nerd and wanting to, um, to, to, to do well in something. And, and I thought, oh. And then they said, yeah, it was pretty sad, but, you know, I, I sort of I shrugged it off. And then, you know, because, you know, they're, they're going through a hard time. And I went to youth and I just thought, wow. Wow. Because they're far more secure than I was at high school. Because, you see, if I'm... If I'm craving the acceptance of my peers, maybe I'm ready to ditch my identity with Christ in order to have their acceptance. But here, here, here's this generation that's growing up that's going, oh, okay, that's sad, but actually my identity's here, not there. 
you know, and so from this place, it's not a us and them. You know, I love you and, and, and I can be kind and compassionate, but this is where my identity is coming from. Wonderful. Wonderful. Let the generation coming through surpass us. Hey, isn't that what we want, hey? Our ki- more for our kids coming through. Just wonderful. So who is Jesus? Simon Moitara, who is Jesus? Jesus is the one who gave, who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus is the one who was faithful to my mother when none of us walked with him and, 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 and she, was, she was worried about her family and their eternal destiny and, and them being able to get on in this world. And she leaned on him and he was faithful. He was faithful to her. He, he, my father uh, was a hurt and hard and wounded man and he softened him and helped him to become a gentle person. That, that, that's who Jesus is for me. Jesus is the one who, uh, who, 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 who loves me and loves you and so challenges me to be like him with you, to get over myself. You know, I was reading the other, just recently on, on social media that we were designed for connection, but trauma causes us to default to protection. So we're created for connection, but when we've been hurt and, and battered and, and bruised, then what happens is we start to protect ourselves and we don't want to connect. Whereas Jesus sort of wants us to connect with Him and others. And, and so, so that healing becomes such a key thing. Who is Jesus? He is, well, I suppose He's my hero. He's the one who saved me when I was lost and scared and terrified and couldn't do anything for myself. He was the one who, who loved those that I loved. He was wonderful. You know, He, 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 he loved me. He died for me. He, he's, he, he's tremendous. He's my King. He's Lord. And I endeavoured to bow the knee to Him. And so in knowing who Jesus is, who am I? Well, I've learned that I'm not dumb or stupid, that I'm actually reasonably intelligent. And so I walk in that. I've learned that I'm not a loser, but actually I can be a leader and affect good with my words and actions if I do things His way and stick close to Him. That's, that's who I am. I've learned that there's a brokenness within me that can only be healed by Him. I've learned that some of the, the protective measures and defensive measures that I've put into my life have actually just been masks and, and, and wallpaper that I've put over crumbling, rotten walls in my life and He just wants to tear that away and just, just renovate the whole thing. And so to be able to turn to Him and go, I, I trust you. You see, and if I trust Him and I know that He loves me, then I am who He says I am, not who they say I am. So I've got to know who Jesus is so that I can know who I am so I can step out in integrity in who I am and be who I am and be salt and light and, and, and honest with other people about who I am because I know who I am in Him. Does it make sense? You see, we're all, see, the thing is we're all having our identity formed by someone or something. I'd rather it was Jesus. And, and so this, 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 this whole beautiful value of belonging, belonging here among His people, but belonging to Him, helps me to be purposed. Because how can I be purposed if I don't know who I am or who He is? So I must belong. I must know who He is. I must take my place among God's people. And then you and I together go out into a world that's craving Him, endeavouring to 
make a difference, to be salt and light. To paraphrase C.S. Lewis, and I love this, the prayer that precedes every other prayer is, may the real me meet the real you. Not me with masks, not me pretending to be the man, not me with self-delusion about who I am, not me thinking I'm better than I am or less than I am, but the real me. <sighs> Meet the real you. Not the you that's been created by the culture. Not the you that's the pop cultural icon. Not the you that's created in my image that will never ever challenge me or make me feel uncomfortable. But the real me. Meet the real you. Let's have some intimacy. Now, I've got some trust issues, but I've got to come in here and, you're going to, and, and, and we're going to work together and I'm going to open myself up to you and we're going to have, move in this wonderful, intimate relationship and we're going to make a difference. Right. Or you're going to make a difference yeah. as I work with you. We all got to come to know Jesus personally. We all, we've all got to come to that place where we, not by secondhand report, but where we make a decision. We've all got to answer this question. But who do you say I am? John? Sarah? Who do you say that I am? Kate? Who do you, who do you say that I am? 